it's going to be a wild ride. So buckle yourselves in. Hello and welcome to Strumash, the podcast of the NFL Scotland team. There is no Cameron Holmes this week. He's living it up in the Big Apple, swanning around New Jersey at the Meadowlands and MetLife Stadium as well. So he's enjoyed that, but that leaves me in charge with the trio of Gordon McGuinness, Ian Stephen and Charles Patterson to discuss week three, to look ahead to week four and anything else that might take our fancy. Gentlemen, welcome along. Good evening. Now, it should be thank you. It should be stated that Charles is in his dressing gown, but we'll save that for the well, dressing gown podcast can, and, and move along. I'll can, go on there. I'll give you, give you no, ten no, no, seconds no. on your it's, dressing it's gown. It's late. It's late. We've just watched Scotland um, achieve something that nobody thought we would achieve in our lifetime and go into a higher division than England. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to celebrate and go to bed early. Just the way it goes. <laughs> I, I like that, to state that I am also going to celebrate and go to bed early with Charles. Oh, <laughs> there's an offer I can't refuse. <laughs> right, gentlemen, let's start and have a look at the Belter Award for this week. And understandably, there's an awful lot of love for Miami. Phil Spears, he says he didn't see as much as he'd hoped for, but Javon Holland of the Dolphins, an absolute baller on Sunday for the Dolphins. 10 tackles, 1.5 sacks, forced fumble that led to the game's only turnover. Excellent pass protection to all in all, well played, he says, through clenched teeth. Uh, Miami, David Brown, another great performance. I don't think we can argue about that. James, before we come on to the performance, the most nominations this week comes for Ken Dorsey. Uh, his meltdown reaction at the end of the Bills game became an instant meme. I can imagine similar scenes in the Mitchell household whenever James Winston throws an interception. That was becoming more and more evident as my old team Not anymore, now well. that you've ditched them. No. <laughs> well, absolutely. Darren Barry, the meltdown was so good it's going to generate memes by the bucket load. Can't give him a nomination for the Bowfin Award because it's so good. Also deserves a mention for not trying to launch the laptop. Jason Hoffman says his epic meltdown caught on camera at the end of the Miami game just proves how much of a psychopath he is. It's always the quiet ones. In other words, he cares. So... Let's come first of all to Ian. Miami upsetting the Bills, or was it really an upset? Are Miami not good enough to live with the Bills this year? We've got to remember, I mean, this game was in Florida in September, so in terms of home field advantage, you, you would definitely edge Miami. But it looked like Miami was suffering if, if the medical synopsis is to be believed by stating that it was dehydration that Tua was suffering from and not um, severe uh, concussion. And I think there's also talk about the fact it might have been uh, back spasms or whatever. There's something quite questionable going on about, something quite Patriot-esque about defining what the injury to their star quarterback was. But I'm not quite sure if anybody would have fully foreseen the charge of the Dolphins at the start of the season. Everybody knew that they, they went out and brought brought in two incredibly speedy receivers, but the question was always going to be how would to respond? And he's he looks like he's responded well. He looks like he might be the franchise quarterback for the Dolphins. And I don't think um I don't think uh, losing to my Amy in Florida and then your offensive coordinator 
um, performing a magic trick by clearing his desk with one swipe will affect the Bills. You're still going to be going through North New York if you were wanting to be reaching the Super Bowl, I think, by the end of the season. Yeah, that's probably quite fair. I actually quite enjoyed it as a game. Gordon, what did you make of it? I thought it was uh, it was one of those games that it was not a clean game, but it was very intense. It was the, the hilarious uh, butt punt uh, from Thomas Morstead. <laughs> Thomas Morstead's a good punter and has been in his career. It's just one of those things when you, you get condensed at the one-yard line, obviously you get pushed back a little bit. And then, yeah, the Bills just couldn't quite find a way at the end I thought it for the Dolphins obviously have good cornerbacks but they've given up a lot of yards to teams earlier in this season um, I thought they did a really good job um, slowing down the Bills offence enough in that game um, to give them a chance kind of bend and don't break seem to get them through Do you not think it's strange that kickers don't change their technique when they're in, in the end zone I mean that they, the so way he set often up, they do Quite often yeah. you do, to be fair. Yeah. And I think that was probably Morstead's mistake is normally they go, for, you know, you sacrifice distance and hang time and all those things. And, you know, it's tough, but yeah. Yeah, well, that's that certainly could have could have cost them dearly, but it didn't do so. Um, so plenty of love for Miami. The other one we've got plenty of love for, let's go with the Eagles. Steve Briggs says, Devontae Smith of the Eagles, huge performance. Philly have two number one receivers. He was immense. Kenny Law and Johnny Bailey both going with Jalen Hurts. For all the initial doubts, he looks like an absolute superstar on a team destined for the Super Bowl. Another multi-touchdown day, accurate passing, great use of his legs. Uh, Lauren Callahan, Devontae Smith, grudgingly give this the Eagles white. Now eight catches, 169 yards and a score against the hapless Washington Commanders. That would be my only thing, Charles, that the Eagles look great, but it was the Commanders they were up against. Yeah, and it was the Lions in week one. But then... The Lions are you, all right. Yeah, well, they're all right, but they're not going to set the heather on fire. I, I think, the, look, um, first thing I have to say with regards to the Eagles is I'm frankly amazed that Ian is not hyperventilating at the moment the prospect of them going to the Super Bowl. He's been very calm and stoic about this, um, which is admirable. If it was me and my team had been garbage for two, three years and then uh, had suddenly morphed into this superstar with a quarterback and all these weapons, I would be extremely excited. Maybe deep down he's excited. I don't know. It's difficult this, to tell this, with you. This, I'm, re- this, I'm, trying to read, I'm trying to read his face here. This, <laughs> it's this, difficult to tell. This is Ian being excited. He, he knows that this is a long season <laughs> and they've got a chance to be really good. Well, I, think I, I said they were going to be the number one seed in the NFC. I said it on our live event night and I stand by it. They've got a very, very favourable schedule. Um, they... They don't really have a very difficult game until about week ten or eleven. I mean, they could they could start out seven, eight, and zero, and I, then I, I honestly think they could start out ten and zero quite easily, and then it gets. I mean, yeah, odds are along the way they will have a blip somewhere. Do what you know I what? Thought, what I thought, sorry, go on, you go. No, no, on you go. On you go. I was I was just thinking, you know, the offense has been terrific. It's the defense really that's going to make the difference come down coming down the stretch because Jalen Hurts has shown promise, but you do feel with every quarterback at some point there will be a blip over the course of the season. You know, he's got two outstanding receivers. There's that running game by committee. Um, he's got Dallas Goddard as a, as a safety blanket, but they will get hit with injuries at some point. There will be things that will go wrong on that offense. So the, if the defense is playing at a high level the whole way through, and they did against Washington, they annihilated Washington's offensive line, then I find it very difficult to see how they can't 
challenge for that number one seed. They're outstanding favourites in the NFC East. They're off to a great start. And, you know, you ride the wave and you ride the momentum of it as well. But we've seen so many teams get off to good starts over the years and then dip after Thanksgiving. It'll be interesting to see how their stamina plays out over the course of the season. So what, what I thought was interesting, and I'm interested to see if Ian agrees or disagrees with this, I, I didn't think Jalen Hurts was... I'm not. I don't. I'm not saying I think he was bad. I think it was one of those weird games where you, they didn't really ask that much of him outside of five passes downfield. Like it was a lot of quick screens and stuff like that. I thought it was a really good offensive game plan by the by the Eagles. Um, like the Dallas Goddard touchdown was a really nicely designed screen. He had a really nice move to shake free of a guy at about the twenty yard line, I think, before taking it in. Like outside of. The, the big throws to um, AJ Brown down the left sideline, Devonta Smith down the right sideline, they didn't really ask much out of Jalen Hurts. Like he only ran for 20 yards or 23, I think, if you take off the kneel downs. They just had a really good game plan, which was the commanders cannot deal with us in space. So we're going to continue to, you know, play action, quick pass. We'll pick up 10 yards. We'll pick up eight yards and they can't stop us. And and that's that's where it was, I thought. Like of his of his four touchdowns, I thought, I, I think two of them were like kind of decent throws and the other two were just really open, easy things that were designed up really well. Like not easy in the sense that anyone can do it, easy in the sense that it was designed really well and put the commanders in a tough position. Okay. Ian, your thoughts? Yeah, I think what you have to remember is that the commanders might have the best uh, defensive line set up for run defense in the NFL that are outstanding. And they gave uh, the Eagles offensive line a very, very hard time when it came to running the ball. But by the end of the second quarter, I think the Eagles defense had just shut down. I think they'd went into their preseason offense by that point. They stuttered and didn't really move the ball in the third and fourth quarter because I don't really think they were trying. I think they had effectively said, right, let's just kill the game um, at this point. Um I think it was um, very flattering on the defensive line to get nine sacks, but I think you have to remember the fact that it was against um, a, a man who uses a, a sundial for an internal clock in Carson Wentz. <laughs> it, it, there were so many occasions should have got rid of the ball, and at, like at least at least half of those sacks were yeah. probably on him. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I think they they definitely were. Um, so th- there's always kind of little things just to be careful of when people are trying to get carried away in a, a kind of um, hype train. Um, the last time the Eagles had such a fantastic start to the season, they, they then had injury issues later in the year, like notably Wentz went down and that's when Foles had to come in. And um, the NFL's I mean, the NFL is such a, a, a season of attrition and it's, it's the last man standing effectively at the end of the year. It's going to be the guys that are good in the playoffs. So, um, I think everybody in Philadelphia has been very um, sensible about the hyperbole surrounding the team this season. But it's very, very interesting that arguably the two most impressive quarterbacks at the start of the season, um, you could argue it's Hurts and you can argue it's Lamar Jackson. These are two guys that people didn't think they could play coming out of college, even though they were absolute stars coming out in the college. 
And I think there's there still is a slight bit of unconscious kind of racism there sometimes in the NFL when people are analysing quarterbacks because if you look at the quarterbacks that were taken before Lamar Jackson, it's absolutely ridiculous that anybody was projected ahead of him. He's an absolute, he's guaranteed if, if you were to redo the draft again, guaranteed he's the number one pick in the draft. And you could see it in college. He was the most exciting player in college since Mike Vick playing the quarterback position. And Jalen Hurts was um, a quarterback that took Alabama into the national championship game. I mean, he got famously replaced by Tua, but they went to Oklahoma and led a completely different offense in one season. Um, he was absolutely fantastic, but people were, see, people were saying when he got drafted by the Eagles that it was a terrible pick. Um, and it just goes to show you that um, I wouldn't always believe anything you hear unless it's uttered on the Stramash podcast because we generally are correct with our assertions. Do you know, it's really interesting that you make that point about that bias, of whatever you want to call it, that unconscious bias towards certain players. I wonder, as much as anything else, if, if we're being really, really um, sort of definitive on it, re- regardless of the way that... The, you know the, the different franchises felt about. It. I mean, Jalen Hurts slipped it out of the first round, and I think it was was he, he was second round, wasn't he? Second round. He was, okay. yeah, was picked for yeah. second round, and Lamar was just about in the second round with, until he was put the last pick. If if they had been, and I wonder what, from a stylistic perspective here, if they had been your classic pocket quarterbacks, but good quarterback, po- po- you know, in in college, you know, guys who had been seen to throw good balls, like as opposed to guys who were running around and perhaps were seen as, you know. Uh, dodgy passers, for want of a better phrase. So I think would that think have the, been a different thing, or are we talking more about them as individuals here? It no. it, it varies, and it kind of it, it varies player to player. But some of the some of the stuff is definitely unconscious bias. I think in terms of you can even see it. it, it you know, if you look at the quarterbacks who hang around as like backups after failing his first round picks and stuff. You can see those things. But I think a guy like Lamar Jackson, people just thought that wasn't a pro offense in Louisville, which it, it's a more pro offense than a lot of other colleges. I think at times those those quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, like Jalen Hurts, get punished because they can run the ball and it's treated as like a, that's all they can do for some reason. And I don't don't really understand it because you could like Lamar Jackson won the Heisman Trophy throw and he threw the ball very well that season. So it wasn't it wasn't like a, it wasn't that he can't throw the ball. It wasn't all he was was a runner. And all he's done is improve as a passer. All Jalen Hurts has done is improve as a passer in, in the NFL. And so you could put you could throw Josh Allen to that mix as well. well we, What's if, the if difference you, between the three? In terms of comparison, you Johnny Manziel won the Heisman Trophy. He was a running quarterback at Texas AM, borderline alcoholic, uh, which everybody knew about. And he actually drafted a higher uh, slot than Jackson did. It's absolutely uh, mind-blowing. Part of it, I think, is because um, management are old and white and they don't know how to deal with young black quarterbacks who have a very different way of communicating and they don't think that they have leadership skills because they don't have the same mannerisms that Peyton Manning did, but in reality, they've got perfectly good leadership skills. It's just they don't understand them because they're from a a different era, effectively, in a different culture. But maybe guys like Hurts and Jackson, maybe if you're a progressive and intelligent front office, you're going to go back and look at the tape and think, what did we miss? How do we analyse it again? Because you're not going to get 
talented um, conventional white quarterbacks coming out, like um, Man the Manning brothers, guys that just stand in one spot. It, it is flashy, run-first quarterbacks, primarily from African-American backgrounds that they're going to have to take a look at um, taking. I mean, you, you look well, at... Kyler the, Murray. Yeah, yeah, well, every, yeah. Every, I mean, every like, quarterback now, every quarterback now, Wilson. And he was and taking number Wilson, one, though. Yeah, but Wilson wasn't. Wilson went all the way down into the third round. Mahomes, uh, um, nobody was projecting him to go high at all until the the Chiefs traded up for him. So, yeah, the boy, the boy Brady got a rough deal as well. To be fair. <laughs> I, I he, see. I he got a rough deal in college. To be fair, he, you know, yeah, he wasn't he I, started by. I think it's an interesting point you make. I, th- I think there's a couple of things. One, I think there's enough progressive older white people in organisations as well, because you see talent. It's your job that's on the line. I think there's an interesting way you evaluate talent. I mean, Trey Lance has gone high. Kyler Murray's gone high. You know, I think it, I, I don't care whether you're black or white. It comes down to you as a character. We've seen, you know, Kyler Murray got drafted exceptionally high, but, you know, there's questions about his work ethic. That's not because of his colour. That's just because of who he is. You know, it, it's. I think teams, when you're drafting, and we've seen it, we've seen it, the Raiders have got it horribly wrong in the last couple of years with their first round picks. It, it's a business where you are, you're making a gut decision. And more and more, I think we're seeing when people get it wrong. And I think, Ian, you make a fair point that if you've made... I, I think every team should be looking to ask themselves why they didn't draft Patrick Mahomes. And every team should be looking to see why they didn't draft Lamar Jackson, who I thought was a steal at that particular time. And and so it's proved. Let's stay with Lamar. Obviously, Baltimore beating New England. Gordon, I would say that's the kind of game that Baltimore have got to win if, if they're going to try and win the division this year. Yeah, I think... The other reason why I think they had to win it is because they've got Buffalo up this weekend, and quite easily you could be, you know, you could have been one and three if you lost that game. This game though showed why I think when you think about Lamar Jackson, you have to try and like think about how you define most valuable player because if it's based on like what they mean to their team at the quarterback position. It's probably constantly Lamar Jackson. Like this is a team that had Tyler Huntley, who might be like a thirty to thirty fifth best quarterback in the NFL, couldn't win a game. Uh, that game against the Patriots, late on, they they needed to be able to grind the ball out, uh, grind the game out on the ground, and Lamar Jackson just reeled off eight yard carries, nine yard carries, fourteen yard carries, nice long drives to take the take the air out of the game, and that's that goes like after the fact that he leads the NFL in touchdown passes. That that was the type of game that the way that game was going, the Patriots were just hanging around and they just needed something just to kind of smother that game a little bit. And they just turned to Lamar Jackson and basically just say, just finish this one off on the ground for us. And they did. Yeah, Brian Dando nominates him. What a way to bounce back after the defeat against Miami. If he keeps this up, it's MVP time. And I think... Gordon, I think well, we must actually return to this in the close season, the difference between the best player on a team and the most valuable player, because I think they are two different things completely. Uh, Charles, this one for you, I thought it was the most impressive performance of the week. I think it was 
I think they had a 7% win chance on, on the pick'em. So Alan Morton says, Jacksonville Jaguars, young, talented roster going cross-country and thumping a much more fancied team. 93% on pick'em. Plus, most of the fans may have been Jaguar fans, Chargers, have as many fans as they do rings. Paddy Kelly, Doug Pedersen and the Jags, the performance and result might go under the radar slightly. I don't think it will here but absolutely dominated the Chargers. Shows you what a decent head coach can do. And Mark McHugh and Trevor Lawrence seems to have settled with great performance against the Chargers. Gordon, I'll come back to you in a second, but Charles, I watched this one on the sort of the 10-minute highlights, and I'm like, what else is going on? It stunned me. Well, uh, one of the um, points was made just there. They've got a decent head coach. They've got a Super Bowl winning head coach rather than a college dropout basically in urban mire and i mean it was an absolute shambles last year so when you're coming from a bottom that was so low you're obviously going to get improvement i think we were we were all surprised at the actual manner of the scoreline but they have a reliable running game people forget that james robinson got injured last year um and that was a huge blow to the whole game plan of of jacksonville because they they didn't have travis etty in it at all for his rookie season. They've now got two running backs and James Robinson proved he was a really, really good running back um, before he got injured. So they're, they're able to lean on him when they need to and look at the, some of the runs he was bursting off. But the only thing I would say in that is that it is slightly skew with what was going on with the Chargers and we'll talk about the Chargers later on. The number of injuries they've got, they cannot catch a break. Um, they've lost five pro bowlers, I think, and they lost two or three in that game in particular. Justin Herbert's injured. I think the the Jaguars got the Chargers at a really good time and they put them away, which is what good teams do. So you have to give them that credit. I think Gordon nailed it pre-season that they could win the division and they now look, I would say, I think Tennessee will come good. I would say on a par with Tennessee to potentially be the division favourites for, for the AFC South. But... They've got a good coach. That's the bottom line. They've got somebody who understands the dressing room, who commands the respect of all the players, and the the players are responding. There's clearly talent on that roster. There's no doubt about it. But they've got somebody who knows how to utilise it properly. And I wasn't the only person. I'm pretty sure Ian was also on the... the, And it's just one of those things, though. Like, you went from... And let's, let's not mince words with Urban Meyer. Realistically probably should be in the discussion for the worst NFL head coach of all time. Didn't even last a full season, but everything that came out from the off the field stuff to the stuff with the players kicking players and training camp and all that stuff. Like to go from that to a, a Super Bowl winning head coach. This also, this isn't allegedly, I'm relatively certain there was actually video of this stuff. So it's not like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, our lawyers have checked too. You're fine. You're fine. Uh, to go from that to a Super Bowl winning head coach. Okay. Doug Pe- Doug Peterson might not be, you know, one of the top coaches in the NFL, but he's shown that so far this season he, he has been. And then the other important thing that I think is probably getting a little bit lost so far this season, that the defense is playing really well. They they got a guy, uh, Devin Lloyd, late in the first round, linebacker who is just slotted in like he's been in the NFL for the last decade. Um, a lot of young players in that defense stepping up. Josh Allen, the edge defender, um, who they took in the draft a couple of years ago looks great. Um, Trayvon Walker's been solid as the number one overall pick. Not you know not fantastic, but he's been good enough. They're just a really a, a pretty solid all around team. Um, 
And I, I, I kind of think that they're going to win that division comfortably at this point. Listen, I, I think I think James Robertson's a top three uh, back in the NFL. I love him. I think he's great. I think it's what you want in a, a running back. Trevor Lawrence it could be the best quarterback to come out of college for the last 10 years. He maybe just needs the right sort of guidance. And Doug Peterson is the exact right guy to do that. You could have him making the, the kind of leap that projects him into all pro um, conversations in a few years' time, um, rather than if Urban Meyer was still there for four years, he he probably would have become one of the busts of all time, Trevor Lawrence. So um, it's, it's heartwarming to see a, a franchise who perennially are in the doldrums having this glimmer of light three weeks into the season. It's great. Don't forget, I mean, we've talked about what elite coaching is about in terms of high-performance athletes. These guys are the best of the best. So when there's someone running the dressing room who is clearly a, a complete liability and doesn't care about the players, the players just chuck it. And that's what they did last year, albeit in the, they, they did in the Colts in the final game of the season. But by this time, Urban Byer was off down the road. So there has been there has been talent in Jacksonville. Don't forget they got to the AFC Championship game about four or five years ago. So they have had recent form. There's not many people left on that roster. But it, they've, they've spent a lot of money as well in the free, free agency. They bought two or three wide receivers in free agency for big money. Christian Kirk, uh, Zay Jones, people thought that, that was overpaying. Well, they're delivering. Think, was that not the case that the NFL told them they had to because there's a minimum amount you have to spend <laughs> and they were like below the minimum amount and the NFL said, stop being so cheap, start paying some players. <laughs> yeah. Good to see. Some of the other games this week, Titans have popped the Raiders down to 0-3, 24-22. That was tight. Panthers get their first one of the season over the Saints. Atlanta doing well on the West Coast, taking care of Seattle. Um, let's have a look. There's, I want to leave a couple of games to last. Bears over the Texans. We did have a nomination uh, come in for Khalil Helbert. Gained over 100 rushing yards, two touchdowns for the Bears after David Montgomery left injured. He looked electric. He certainly did. 100, 150 yards, Paul. Was it as much as that? Yeah, yeah. 150. Over, yeah. A, over, a, over 150. Very, very impressive. Right. We'll come to Charles and his beloved Green Bay in a moment, uh, but I'll open this one up to you, Ear. The Colts getting on the board, beating Kansas City. I thought Kansas looked a little bit timid at times. What did you make of them? I didn't, do you know, you didn't think that you would have the Colts looking at going 0-3 um, in, in the season. The, the two games that they lost... Uh, kind of shocked, but then you thought going this is a stick on this is Kansas putting up 50 points and you can foresee the Colts having a own 17 season they're just going to collapse and they didn't they they rallied um they looked semi-decent at times um so it'll be interesting to see what the kind of makeup of this team is. Sometimes they they get some teams get fright at the start of the season and they rally, and maybe they're going to use this game against the Chiefs as a kind of springboard for them, confidence wise. Um, well, I think the Chiefs are privately seething about losing that game. Um, I think they're I think they're going to look back in the, the end of the season and regret that they're going to miss out getting home advantage to the Bills by one game, and that's going to be the game they look back on. And I think they're going to be quite frustrated about. 
Yeah, it look, looked a bad one. Okay then, Charles, your moment in the spotlight is here. Green Bay against Tampa Bay. Right. Arm wrestle. Absolute arm wrestle. I didn't over I didn't hype it because I wasn't there last week. Sorry. And if I had been, I would have said to you it's not going to be pretty. You've got two offenses that are trying to work themselves out at the moment. Brady's missing his top three receivers. Um and he's lost parts of his offensive line. Green Bay, well, we've talked about it. It's been well documented all summer about all the nonsense that's been going on in terms of Oh, is this going to be a good receiving core? How are they going to cope without Devontae Adams? Well, Devontae Adams is 0-3, and Romeo Dobbs is 2-1. That's all I'm going to say. So, I mean, look, they're, they're not... They're two good defensive teams that have got great offensive quarterbacks who don't have receivers at the moment. I think that's the way to, to put it. The running game in Green Bay got largely shut down, um, but Brady couldn't hit a receiver and that's I mean it was marginal gains the first two drives of Green Bay were very impressive I have to be honest I thought they were very impressive and after that there was a few adjustments made um, I I, I would if I was expecting them to probably lose it 14-12 rather than win it and it shows how big a problem Tampa have got at the moment with a lack of weapons for Brady and I, I, you, you do worry a little bit about Tampa apart from the fact they're playing in what is a very weak division now, looking on paper. If you've got Carolina, who are not that great, and the Falcons, who are frisky, but not really a, a playoff team, and the Saints are bottoming out, it seems, I think Tampa are going to win that division by default. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the Bucs have won that division. It's week three. And they're not... They'll be the number one... They're, they're, going to, they're going to be the number four seed at this rate, if they're not careful. Yeah, very possible. But I mean, but the goal for them, I suppose, at this point is get healthy for yeah, Brady. Yeah. Because no one else is competing for that division. They're terrible. No. We'll, talk, right, we'll talk about the rest of that division when we get to Bowfin, probably. Exactly. I've got I've got the game for you in a second, Gordon. Let's, so the Vikings beat the Lions. That was nearly the upset. Our friends at the Western Isles NFL podcast talked about that. The Rams took care of the cards. Right then. Oh, I missed Dallas beating the Giants 23-16. The Giants, interesting in that one. Troy Aikman saying that Daniel Jones... He doesn't think we'll be back in New York next year. I'm not even sure they, they would franchise tag him because they didn't pick up option number five. Arguably the worst primetime game we've seen in a long time. Denver 11, San Francisco 10, featuring Jimmy G with a fumble and a safety by stepping out the end zone. And the Broncos, 10 punts. Gordon, this was not a game for the purest. And hopefully on the PFF rating, it scored Zero, don't ever watch again. It, it was dreadful. Um, <laughs> two bad teams. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean. Oh, the two for, good teams that were bad. No. No. De- de- no. De- so San, Fran- San Francisco, I don't think, are a bad team. Mm. De- Den- Denver, if they're not a bad team, they're a badly coached team. I th- One of the really interesting things about the first three weeks is that the AFC West, which we were hyping up for months, looks really soft. The Chargers are injured. There's no doubt about it. Kansas City have lost a bit of pizzazz because Tyreek Hill's gone and that's their kind of outball. And you do worry a little bit about them to be able to cope with the biggest hitters in the conference. The Broncos look garbage. Yeah. They look garbage. Like Russell Wilson, don't get me wrong. Russell Wilson does not look good. But the coaching in Denver is 
I, I find what, that really what? weird because Nathaniel Hackett has just come from an offense in Green Bay and he was working with Aaron Rodgers. And you do wonder now when you look at it with him in, in, in Denver, you wonder just how much coaching he was actually doing, whether Aaron Rodgers was just running the place, which we all know really? he does. Yeah, well, he does. He does. <laughs> come on. But Nathaniel Hackett came with a great reputation for running that offense in all seriousness. And so, and he looks nervous. He looks like he's a rabbit in headlights. It's bizarre. It's utterly bizarre. But I don't, I, I said before, before the season, I wasn't entirely convinced. I, I've never been hugely convinced by the weapons that they've got in, in, at receiver. I mean, Jerry Judy drops the ball. Cortland Sutton's never fit. Javonte Williams has not yet really proved that he's a top, top running back. I don't think they're any good. I just don't think they're a good team. I, I think Javante Williams is absolutely fine as a running back. Mm. The coach hasn't given him the ball when he needs to. The amount of times that Melvin Gordon's getting the ball when it probably should be going to Javante Williams is, again, another symptom of bad coaching. Yeah, Denver against San Francisco will not live long in the memory of the Thursday night football. Browns beat the Steelers. Also, uh, let's go also to- a bad game. Yeah, like also this, very- this, this week was relatively bad primetime games. Yes, I would agree with that. None of them sparkled as you might have thought they would. So that brings us to the bow thing. So Steve Briggs says San Francisco 49ers. What a minging performance. Patrick, what's in the Brady against Rogers narrative? The usual pish and under underwhelming game. He's calling it the NFL equivalent of Man United against Liverpool. I think that's a little bit harsh. We've touched on Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, lots of nominations coming in for him. The error cost the game. Uh, Bowfin, uh Running out of the end zone for a safety, Dan Orlovsky style. The Lions, I think it was in the was it the eighties or something like that. Dan Orlovsky went. No, no. Yeah. Orlovsky was no. like the early two thousands. I think it was think like, yeah. like it was like relatively recently. What, I think what, what I did love... it say in the broadcast? There was I think oh, there'd been what two or three since the eighties. Yeah. What, what I love is that we got uh, an ode to Dan Orlovsky with Jimmy Garoppolo, and we got an ode to Mark Sanchez with the the butt punt. This week it was just rolling, rolling back the years to bad NFL quarterbacks. <laughs> on, on the on the subject of Mark Sanchez, have you heard any of his co commentary yet? Um, in the first three weeks of the season, it is beyond cringe. <laughs> so I, I do I, I urge anyone who's got half an did, hour on a board. Did he do the the scrubbing the hard drive? Was he that? Uh, yes, yes. Like and he and yeah, then he, he went he went good. off on a tangent about Shakira as well. And I mean, it's extraordinary. Some of it. I mean, I mean it's, we've, it's, we've all it's like that. watching your it's like watching your we've, dad dancing at a wedding. You don't want to watch, or you don't want to listen, but you've got to just to see what he's about to come out with. Listen, do you want some? Do you want some bad commentary from a Scottish perspective? Uh, well, no, we don't. We don't. We don't talk about Paul in that way in the podcast, though. <laughs> gentlemen, gentlemen. Mark uh, Mark Schlereth doing the colour commentary. I think it was in the, the Eagles game. And he said, uh, you know, you're not playing well when your dauber is down. And he said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, I don't know what. He said, I don't know what a dauber is. I don't know where that phrase comes from. <laughs> so I tweeted him saying, I hate to tell you this, Mark, but in Scotland, a dauber's a gentleman's sausage. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, we we must actually in one of the episodes talk about some of the broadcasters because I thought I'm not sure Greg Olson's doing either. So yeah, there's one or two that are not particularly great. Let's have a look 
elsewhere. The Bills game plan, the Buffalo Bills, Olivia Ramage and St. Clock management uh, wasn't very good. Mark McHugh and the Bills game plan uh, just thought it was really weird the way they played. Um, and they wonder if they overtrained down there in Tampa. And Florida, Jimmy G, Bill Staff, Johnny Bailey, let the clock run out, then smashing up the booth. Uh, we like that. That that would say would be a belter as well. Reese News says injuries, they simply suck. Well, can't disagree with that. Darren Barry, the Cardinals catching. Don't know if it's Kyler's arm strength or just the lack of catching drills, but six drops in a one-score game. Bowfing and Ryan George, the Bills coaching staff, took defeat with grace and dignity. Absolutely. But the one thing I do want to talk about, we've touched on it a little bit, the Miami Dolphins management, did they mismanage their quarterback? Because Tua did not look like a player who was suffering from lack of fluids when he was weaving his way off the field. What's the thoughts? So when they, so their, their official, has it changed to lack of fluids? Because the first thing was back injury. That was the first. He could come back in because it's a back injury. If you watch that clip, the first thing he does when he gets up is he shakes his head. And the way that you shake your head when you've had the cobwebs, you need to blow the cobwebs loose, and then tumbles over. I'd, maybe. I'd, so tumbling over when you've had a back injury, I can understand. Like any, anyone who's any, had any kind of back twinge, it will like send a shooting pain down your leg that, oh, oh God, what the hell happened there? Just when you see the head shake, at a little dubious. What I would say is... They were in a game that they were having to win. So, and it was tight. The, the The real bad usage of protecting a quarterback came with the Chargers when they're throwing Justin Herbert in and they're 38-10 down. The real, the real bad... That's lunacy. The real bad looking after your uh, quarterback by the Chargers was when they let the same doctor that gave <laughs> Tyrod Taylor an injection. Mm. And did, did you see their... So, there was like a tweet from Adam Schefter that had the official quote from them. And it was about how this guy was given this and he's going to use this ultrasound thing to see where he's doing that. They knew the entire Twitter timeline was about to get 50,000 jokes off about the fact that they'd they'd ended uh, Tyrod Taylor's Chargers career by, by doctor. If you're Justin Herbert, you don't go anywhere near the medical room. You convalesce at home until you're fit and healthy. You don't go anywhere near the Chargers doctor because you could end up with, rabies or anything <laughs> so as it stands at the moment to uh, the the whole issue is under investigation too is not in concussion protocol uh and mike mcdaniel basically said if he'd had a head issue he wouldn't have been out there <sighs> again i think you described it well god we all saw what we saw he fell backwards he hit his head he looked you know having shaked his head he, he looked concussed but if he's followed protocol, he's followed protocol. And, and I, think that's, I think that's what the NFL Players Association are kind of asking the NFL on this, is it's not, it's not necessarily about investigating this particular situation. It's about investigating how the concussion protocols are being followed. And, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe that is, maybe that is what it was. What we probably need to talk about with the Dolphins is uh, about half past 11 at night, we got an angry tweet sent to us by a Dolphins fan who wanted to know what... Uh, what excuse we're going to make for the Dolphins losing. And in, in my defense last week, probably a little bit salty as a, as a homer, you know, probably didn't give the Dolphins enough credit. The, the, the touchdown pass they threw in the fourth quarter 
that got them back in that game were blown coverages. This week, I think the Dolphins did a, a far better job. They slowed down the opposing offense um, and, you know, are deservedly 3-0. So there we go. We are going to now award the Loch Lomond Belter of the Week. And I can tell you that our man in New York has already made that nomination. It will go to Jason Hoffman uh, for nominating Ken Dorsey for his epic meltdown caught on camera at the end of the Miami game. So Ken Dorsey or the Buffalo Bills, you are our Loch Lomond Malt's Belter of the Week. And we'll raise a glass of smash whiskey to you. And there'll be a bottle of whiskey on its way to Jason Hoffman. Gentlemen, team of the week, we select a quarterback, a running back, three wide receivers, a tight end, and an O-line. From all the belters that we just talked about, is there anybody we should immediately pencil in to one of these slots? Lamar. I think. I I think he was better than Jalen Hurts this week. Don't know what other options you've got. Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, I think Does Trevor he? Lawrence. Although he, you know, playing a compromised Chargers. I would give it to Lamar if he weren't the fact he's chucked a pick. There you go. How about that? So that's why I'm leaving the, the door open for any other contenders. Okay, running back. We mentioned Khalil Herbert. Is there anybody better than him given the way that he played? Especially given he's a backup, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, I think you can make the case for Ian's guy, James Robinson, but Khalil Herbert probably. Cordero Partson, he did a really good, good game as well. Um, 140 yards and only 17 carries. Um, and he's not even a running back. Kind of really, he did a yeah. really good game. But I, I think it's got to go to Khalil Herbert. I'm sorry, Chicago fans, but it might be the only thing you win all season. So let's give it to <laughs> Chicago. I don't think we should be too harsh on Chicago. They've actually managed a couple of wins this season, which which much to, much to many people's surprise, but they they have done so. Okay, then, who impressed in the wide receiver department? Just before I go to that, we did get um, somebody complaining. What's, what have the Raiders done to Devontae Adams? He's virtually non-existent. Josh McDaniels is trying to outdo his Broncos coaching record. That came from Alan Morton. Are we surprised that Devontae Adams isn't getting more of a look in? Well, I think he's been quite well covered. And when you consider that the guy who I was about to nominate for wide receiver across from him was 158 yards and a touchdown, Mac Hollins, who has come from absolutely nowhere, there's clearly a lot of coverage being swung over to Devontae Adams' side. Now, the, the key with Adams is to move him around, which is what Matt LaFleur did to a, a impeccable standards for two years. You move him around, you play him in the slot, you play him either side, and if... I haven't seen enough of the Raiders in the first three weeks to kind of judge it. But if they're not moving him around, he's just going to get double covered and blanketed. So, and he's not playing in his, with as good a quarterback. That's the other thing. <laughs> Any other wide receiver nominations, Jets? Who, who struck you as having De- yeah, Devon- a week? Devonta Smith has. Devonta been, Smith, so. yeah. yeah. It, it, was, it wasn't just... Devontae's stats, it was how he, he, he made some of his catches. He's he's not the biggest fellow in the, the world, but he played like he was a foot taller than he actually is. Um, I think you'd also need to look at nominating Marquise Brown as well with 14 catches for 140 yards for Arizona. Um, I, I think he would have to be in shout for a nomination. Yep, I think that's fair. The other guy I would mention, 
And obviously, Paul, you won't be aware of this guy because you no longer support the team. But uh, Chris Olave for the Saints, I thought had a really nice game. Like looks every bit the first round pick they wanted him to be. Um, you know, pushing yeah, 170 I, yards. I, I liked Olave. I must admit, I watched I watched quite a lot of that game just out of general interest. Um, the, the one he dropped towards the end with two minutes to play. I think if he'd caught that, I would have been quite happy to put him in. But I think that was a big moment for the Saints. Uh, and he didn't quite get where he needed to be. So I think, yeah. So we've got Matt Collin, Devontae Smith, Marquise Brown, Khalil Herbert is our running back. Quarterback, I'm going to go, if I've got the deciding casting vote, with Trevor Lawrence, I think, to win on the road. Um, I think just probably edges it for me. We need a tight end, gentlemen. When you're looking at Don Schultz, I, I like Pitts again um, for the Falcons. Tyler Higbee. What about Mark yourself? Andrews. Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews was the other one that was David, outstanding. David, David Njoku as well. He was outstanding for the, yeah. the Cleveland. Yeah. I So I would potentially give it to Njoku because... Because it's I Cleveland. Think, I think... Give it, no, I give, think it, give, it, give it to Njoku because Cameron has to try and spell it and put it on a graphic. And then well, say it next week. Let, let's, let's, let's work out how would Cameron pronounce, pronounce Njoku. It would be... Uh, Nakoju, that's how that's how you butcher yeah. this one. Add it to his list of butchered names. You you did realise that's got no chance of making it into the podcast. That will be edited out by our editor <laughs> in chief because I would. <laughs> well done uh, to the Browns, David Njoku, who last month reflected on becoming a chief in Nigeria, which was one of the stories I liked about him. Right, we need an O line who, who bullied whom in the league this week. Did, I mean, Ian, you, you talked a little bit about the Philly line. I don't. Yeah, I don't think the, the Eagles line had a very good game, to be honest. In the the running game, um, do, do we have to look at the Bears for opening up 157 yards for a backup running back? Possible. Um, the Bears. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I thought the Panthers. They were up against the Texans. Come on, we can't vote for anyone who's up against the Texans. Um, uh, the Panthers played pretty well, all things considered. Even though it was Baker, who's just not very good anymore. Even if it, if, he ever, if he ever was good, the, but the, the Saints were supposed to have a sort of strong defense, and I didn't think they particularly yeah, you, troubled. Do you know? And uh, it's a funny one because he's a backup quarterback, but Dallas, you know, Cooper Rush did not look bothered last night at all. You've got to hand it to him and his offensive line. They've kept him upright, and they've got two wins in the last two weeks when everyone thought that they might be going 0-3 after what happened to Dak. So there's a bit of credit actually, to you there. That's actually a good point. Let's let's talk a little bit about Cooper Rush. He has been in that building for five years. He mm. knows that offense arguably better than some of the coaching staff. Is it such a surprise, Gordon, that he's done well? I mean, I think he's he's played like a 25 to 40 fifth best quarterback in the NFL. It's probably not a massive surprise. Um, I think any talk as you're getting in some very dramatic uh, American shows this morning around how oh maybe there's going to be a quarterback controversy. Oh, Cooper Rush. Oh, no, no. no. Is, is 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 Jerry Jones actually feeding that? Oh, Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones says he looks like a top quarterback, which is nonsense. <laughs> He's, but look, look, he's done the job you want your backup quarterback to do. If your backup quarterback can't beat 
a team that played as poorly as the Giants did last night, then, you know, you probably don't want them there. But he's been fine. So Panthers or the Cowboys, gentlemen? Did the Panthers... I struggle to say the Panthers because the their rookie left tackle, left tackle, I think Aquano's playing. He's been he's been rough. Well, let's, okay. let's give it to Dallas. Yeah, considering they're playing without their best lineman, and that was a fairly impressive performance. Indeed, it was our team of the week. You can see the graphic in the next couple of days on the Stramash Twitter site, gentlemen. What is going to catch your eye in Week Four? I mean, the one thing I'll tell you is that the primetime games have to be better than week three, although I don't think that's much of a stretch as the way things things are going to go. Um, what What's catching your eye in terms of what games you want to see? Bills-Ravens. Why, why is that a 6pm game? That makes no sense to me. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm glad. I, I prefer not having to stay up. It makes it's, my life it, a little bit easier. It, it's actually a shame. It's up against the Jaguars-Eagles game. Um, and I, I would want to watch both of them. My, uh, if we, if I can get the Jaguars Eagles game, I will put it on here on Sunday night because my eight year old, who is a long suffering Jags fan, and thought at one point last year they would never win another game while he was alive, I might actually watch that with him. I think that's going to be a great game. That will be a real test to see how far they've come thus far because it, the Eagles will be heavy favourites for that. But you do wonder whether the Jags can keep that tight. But Bills Ravens is on paper box office, but I. The, the problem the Bills have got, that secondary in three weeks has been shredded. So if you're Baltimore and you want to stamp your authority and potentially get a tiebreaker for the playoffs, you have to take advantage of that now and win that game if you're Baltimore. Flip, flip side, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs against the secondary that, okay, this week I think with uh, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters, they played well. The, the Bills can put out four wide receivers and force the Ravens to play one of the back-of-the-roster cornerbacks, and the Ravens' back-of-the-roster cornerbacks this year are awful. They benched two guys on Sunday. So if they're forced to put their fourth-best cornerback out in the field, that's like a huge mismatch. What's so the over-under on that game? Uh don't know what the over-under is. 100 points. The, the, the Bills are three-and-a-half-point favourites, which um, Lamar's only been a home underdog Twice. This is the third time, uh, and he won the other two. It was against the the Patriots and the and the Chiefs before. That is a great start. Early start, of course, in terms of the USA. Ian, we get the early game here as well. The Saints against the Vikings at Spurs Stadium. We get the first of the games over here. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, it was maybe the game people thought was going to be the most interesting, maybe other than the the Packers one. I am. Um, uh, there was a lot of preseason hype about the Saints. Should we say that they were going to be a good team this season? But you're the best person to call it as an ex-Saints fan, Paul. <laughs> They've been slightly disappointing. Um, I thought the Vikings would be pretty close to the Packers this season in the division. So you get to see a a, a really efficient quarterback in. Kirk Cousins, you get to see one of the best receivers in the, the league in Jefferson. Um, hopefully this is going to be one of those games that, that goes down to the the final few moments and it's not a kind of traditional Wembley blowout. 
Um, I, I do find it quite funny when they, they promote the game on, on in America and they have to add in the caveat that's six half past six in the morning if you live in the West Coast, so you guys need to get up early. I do, I do quite like that. It's a shame. I think it's a shame that um, the Saints are coming in and they've got a quarterback who's got he's got four ba- fractures in his back. Um, and that is clearly limiting him. And they've obviously not got that much faith in Andy Dalton that they've not put him in yet. So if the Vikings play it smart, they should walk that game, if you ask me. I, I, I saw a great tweet this week about Jameis Winston. And it was that Sean Payton played Jameis Winston as the quarterback who he knew at a moment's notice could kill the game for you just by making a terrible decision. So he managed them in a way which was like, we're going to limit these things. Okay, we're going to probably lose some of your some of your big plays, but we're also going to lose some of the big bad plays. Dennis Allen and this current coaching staff aren't doing that. They're just letting Jameis Winston play. And we're seeing the Jameis Winston we saw at the end of his career in Tampa. I can't disagree with you on that, Gordon. I mean, I've obviously watched the last couple of weeks very closely. To Charles's point, I don't think you should be playing a guy that's injured like that. I think you're undermining him and not giving him the chance. So I would have brought in Andy Dalton anyway and just let Jameis heal. I think the Saints are asking for trouble. Now, I was upset the previous week because I thought the referees had an awful lot to deal with the loss at home. I didn't think so. I think the Saints shot themselves in the foot. I think it was seven penalties three turnovers. Uh, okay, arguably one of them was when he was going for it towards the end. But I just think if you're if you're playing a guy that's crocked, you're asking you're asking for trouble. And I think the, the Vikings are getting the Saints at the best possible time. I think um, we have to what you have to remember as well when the quarterback position is a lot of the throwing mechanics come from the torque from the lower back. Yeah. And the the, the amount of painkillers that he, they must be pumping into him to get him out in the field it surely must be affecting his mind. You can't have that amount of chemicals in your system and not have it affect the way that your brain processes what it needs to process on the field as a, a quarterback. It makes it, it just from a logical standpoint, it makes more sense to have a player that, that comes in that, that doesn't have a severe debilitating injury plus thousands of chemicals pumped into them. They must have, there must be something hidden somewhere in contracts or behind the scene deal or handshakes or whatever to keep um, Jameis playing over Dalton because you think just from a compassionate humanitarian standpoint, you'd say to the guy, listen, you've broken your back. You don't need to play on Sunday. We've got somebody else will come in and do it. It's bizarre to even, would any of you consider turning up to work on Monday if you'd broken four vertebrae in your back? It depends how much money I'm getting paid, if I'm being honest. How much is how much is Jameis on? No, Jameis isn't on like a, a kind of... I mean, he's on more than us. Well, well he's he's on, let's well, be honest, it's more, not more difficult. More than you guys. More than you guys, come on. i got who, who, for hosting who, this thing. My... <laughs> I, I wasn't told about this. Goodness me. Oh, no, no, it's all about your agent. If you've got the contract and things like yeah. that, it's, it's definitely the, the way to go. A uh, couple of other games that catch the eye... Packers listen, Patriots. Listen, listen, we have to talk about this because people would have been picking this before the season as a Super Bowl. And it's the Chiefs against the Buccaneers. And 
we would have been hyping this game up and saying it's the, the greatest of all time against the guy that's about to take the mantle as greatest of all time, but we're not because of what's been happening elsewhere in the NFL. And we are talking about the Bills Ravens as the game we want to see. And we're not talking about Chiefs against Buccaneers. I, I bet you it's going to be a good game though, after all this, because we're, we're not expecting it. And, and the Chiefs offense is kind of maligned. And you, you'll know this as an Eagles fan. Andy Reid, at times, is just a bit flat as a play caller. And norm- normally he kind of rebounds a little bit from there. I, I, I think it'll be a good game. I, the, I agree. Um, I think it will be. 49ers Rams has got a whiff of one-sidedness uh, about it as well. Don't want to uh, watch that. I don't want to watch that either. There, there, there's one good primetime game this week, and it's Dolphins-Bengals. Mm. No, sorry, sorry. Chiefs Chiefs box is actually Dolphins Bengals is quite attractive, but if Tua has a problem and he's compromised, then compromised. What is he? What is he? An agent for the Bengals? (laughs) If Tua's compromised, then the Bengals physically physically compromised. The Bengals are still an attractive watch, even with. (laughs) I mean, I think the Bengals will win that game. Yeah, I think they will too. At the risk of the wrath of uh, the Bengals fan who tweeted, uh, the Dolphins fan who tweeted us at eleven thirty on Sunday, which I've now mentioned for the second time. Not that, not that I thought it was a, a bit uh, over the top. Uh, I kind of think the Bengals might win this quite comfortably. Well, we know where you'll be next week to defend yourself if that doesn't happen. A well, sneaky... I, I'll know if I if I open up Twitter on Friday morning before I watch the game <laughs> and I see a eight page long tweet to tell me that I'm an idiot. <laughs> Colts Titans now becomes an interesting game with those the them both uh, winning that, as well. Yeah, must win game for both of them. You know, yeah. especially if the, especially if the Jags are going to disappear off into the sunset and win the AFC South. I, I I do think the Titans will work it out. I think they've got a good coaching staff that will work things out. And Derek Henry looked a bit better. So Ryan Tannehill did not. He did not. But then when did it ever work around Ryan Tannehill? You just you manage it. You manage him. That's what you got to do. The Colts, I don't know. I just, I can't take them seriously, even though they Matt, did beat the Matt Chiefs. Matt Ryan is bad. Yeah. So our friends of the Western Isles NFL show always nominate an upset of the week. They came close last week with the Lions almost toppling the Vikings. Here's what the guys think for this week. Welcome to the Win of Hell show. I'm your host, Ian McKinnon. I'm here with Jake McGee. How are you doing, Jake? I can't complain, buddy. How are you? I'm very well, very well indeed. Now, of course, we're three weeks down, three incorrect upsets. So this week, we're definitely going to get it right, aren't we? Well, in Vegas's defence, they've been perfectly correct until the fourth quarter. I mean, the Jags in week one were 22 to 14 up, mm-hmm. ended up losing. The Panthers, 13 to 6 up, mm-hmm. ended up losing. And the Lions this week, 24 to 14, halfway through the fourth. And they found a way to loss. So Vegas is just not accounting for the witching hour, it seems. Maybe that's exactly what it is. So I think what we'll do then, Jake, is we will uh, send it over to Vegas. Over to our man in the field, Callum Blaine. And he's going to be uh, giving us this week's prediction. So um, can you hear us, Callum? Yes, hearing you loud and clear. I'm here over at MGM Grand in Las Vegas. And wouldn't you know it... I've bumped into, yet again, Mr. Elvis Presley. Now, Elvis, it's been three weeks now. You've been wrong every time. Give us give us something. Just give us... You've got it. You've got it in you. I can see it. Who's going 
to be the upset champions of this week of the NFL. Oh yeah, man, it's uh, it's all rock and roll, man. You know, like my mom used to say, two blowing then Grace Land, you know, just taking care of business, man. 110 percent. They're really important, big lessons, you know. And I try not to try to uh, hurt my family or anybody. Oh, 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 you know, Thank you very much. Oh well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard the man. The Houston Texans are taking the LA Chargers this week in the NFL. Back to you guys over in the studio. So there you go, Jake. It's going to be the Texans over the Chargers. Bit of a long shot by everyone's books here, but um, can you tell us, how can the Texans possibly pull off this huge upset if they make it? Well, it is our most outlandish um, call from Vegas so far. Maybe trying to redeem themselves a little bit here. Five and a half points the Texans are getting. Now they are 5-0 and against the spread in the last five games against the eight. Um, AFC, so there's every chance uh, to tell of two tapes. Really, the the Chargers are just injury riddled. Rashawn Slater, their le- left tackle from last year, the rookie left tackle, second team All Pro, he's done for the season. Um, Storm Norton, who came in at left tackle, great name by the way, but he played 46 percent of the snaps and had the most pressures allowed. He had eight pressures allowed in half the snaps, so he's more of a turnstile than a left tackle. The worry I have for the Texans is they have the worst run defense per PFF, but the Chargers O-line, just 26th best run block O-line and the worst pass protection. Poor Justin Herbert has been getting beat up left, right, and center. So if Corey Lindsley isn't good to go this week, it could spell trouble again. Bosa's injured, Herbert's injured, JC Jackson's injured. It's just it's not looking good for the Chargers on the back of a, a whopping from the Jaguars. And then for the Texans, I've got to hope, you know, but Jerry Hughes at 34 is second in the league with four sacks. I mean, talk about aging like a fine wine and, and say what you want about the Texans. They can draft, certainly this year anyway. The rookie draft picks, Kenyon Green starting at guard for them. Derek Stingley's doing quite well. He's got at least three pass defense that I've seen. Damian Pierce is one of my favorite fantasy running backs at the moment. And then Jalen Petrie uh, at safety, he was the, the first Texans player in their history to have two interceptions and a sack in the same game. So they've got promising signs. It's just Davis Mills is holding the ball too long and seems to crumble when it matters the most. But I've got faith in the Texans, like I say, getting five and a half points. What do you think about the Texans? Yeah, I mean, they, they have, they've looked, at, at times, looked really good. And then at other times, you're like, oh, no, it's the same old Texans, unfortunately. But this week, I've got confidence in them. We saw the beat down the Jaguars put in the Chargers. And as you've already said, they've got a lot of injury troubles. So um, I reckon I'm with you there, Jake. I think the Texans can pull this off. Would you like to give us a wee score prediction? I've gone 20 to 17 to the Texans. I do think it'll be close, um, but I think they'll edge it, and hopefully Davis Mills can find that clutch gene in him. There you go. 20 to 17 to the Texans. Uh, if you've got money to put on the game, absolutely. That's the score you should definitely 110% be betting on. Do not take our word for that. And we'll hand it back over to the guys at the Stramash podcast. Thanks to them. Almost time to go, gentlemen. Just a couple of bits of admin. The Pick'em update. Uh, Coos Milk, 30 and 17. Burn it all, 30 and 17. They are our two leaders. Next comes the Invernesses. Legions of Boomerangs also in there as well. That is in our Bonnie Sauce Pick'em competition. 
if you want to go to the Pigskin Pick'em and register for our league, you can do so. Currently, the top pundit, well, that would be, I think, me, 26 and 21. You Gordon's would never have mentioned that behind. if it was someone else. You would never have I, mentioned that. You know what? I checked You're as bad times. as Cameron. <laughs> I checked Wait, it three what, times. What's, but, what's no, Cameron Can I, can I say that? I, I've no idea. He was too far down. 24 and 23 is Gordon. So at the moment, I mean... I'm, I'm 24 and 23 as well, you know. Yeah, well, you must be further down. But no, I just, I'm, I'm incognito, that's why. Is that, is that what it is? I couldn't <laughs> tell who it was. Um, there's been some wild, wild games, and actually anybody to go 13-17, I'm highly, highly impressed with. Uh, live events, you'll be able to talk to an NFL superstar in Glasgow and Edinburgh later on in October. Ian, how's the preparations going? Yep, um, ticket sales are going very fast, so people need to hurry up and use the special Stramash uh, promo code because I'm going to be opening tickets up at the start of October to general NFL fans. Um, so if you use the Stramash promo code, you'll get 50% off as a loyal listener to the Stramash podcast, but it's only up until the start of October. Remember, if you get VIP seats, you get free drink and arrival, you get VIP seating, you get meet and greet with Hollis before the show, you get a personalised signed photo, you can bring an item of memorabilia to be signed, selfies with them, there's an exclusive VIP-only prize draw, and you get to go home with Paul Mitchell at night and do whatever you want with him. <laughs> as long as you're gentle, I'll be okay. Gentlemen, I think that's almost all we've got time for on the Stramash NFL Scotland podcast. Anybody get anything they wish to sprinkle in that they didn't get a chance to mention? No, I want to say how delightful it is to be on a podcast when Cameron's not here just spouting his vitriol. It's been a very gentlemanly and serious discussion. Um, I feel we've tackled a lot of issues um, and we've settled quite a lot of debates. I I, uh, I do wonder what his mood's going to be like when he returns to the United States and whether he still believes it was a good idea to keep Garoppolo on the roster. Hmm. Well, we, we shall ask him, but bearing in mind that he's only getting about $1.03 $1. to the pound at the point he's probably in a, <laughs> on a tough old time in the USA. What is he's probably to go? He's seriously in debt going to McDonald's just to get something to eat. <laughs> Well, well, who, who sent the tweet that said that 50 cent wants to be known as one pound which I thought was quite good even I got that one I think Gentlemen, th they, they also they made that joke when they saw him at the Super Bowl and he put on a bit of weight so it's one of those jo jokes that had a bit of longevity which is nice <laughs> <laughs> perfect hope you've enjoyed listening to Stramash this week as we've reviewed week three looked ahead to week four remember and stay across all of our social media channels check out our website as well. Some great writers around and you can get all sorts of information regarding fantasy football to the week previews. Check that out as well. But for now, for Ian Stephen, Gordon McGuinness, Charles Patterson and myself, Paul Mitchell. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>